0: Again, I, I do want to say thank you uh, to you guys for spending your weekend here with us, um, processing, learning, growing together. I, I'm really thankful for that. And as we conclude this weekend, uh, I actually wanted to cast an eye toward like, what we're going back to in Milwaukee. A lot of you are probably going back to like a mountain of homework. Again, very thankful that you uh, gave us your weekend. Um, but uh, we're going back to our normal lives And if you recall, like on Friday night's sermon, uh, we concluded with the reality that like God has given us all these signs because he wants to show us that he's the signaler, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that all these good gifts are actually from him, that our work and our play and our rest and our relationships, they're all from him. And he wants us to give him the glory for those things. The problem is sometimes we like those signs, right? I, I made this point that like it's kind of like if you were in Paris and you're going to go to the Louvre and you saw a sign for the Louvre and you're like, wow, a sign for the Louvre, right? That's kind of what we do with the world, with the earth. We, we tend to, even though God has given these things as signs, as good gifts pointing toward a greater gift of himself, like we tend to kind of stop like halfway, and uh, I want us to think about the ways that we might be stopping halfway while we're living in Milwaukee. So tonight we're going to be in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, uh, you can always look on your phone. It's Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about a, a student I, I met while I was, a, before I did this job, I was an intern at Indiana University with RUF. And I met this kid while I was there. It's like, he was a freshman. His name was, uh, JT. And shortly after meeting JT, uh, we were like, we met like four or five times his fall of his freshman year. And then, uh, JT met a pretty girl named Ashley. And then I didn't see JT again for like another year. Uh, and that's like, that's, if you, you know, if you've been around college ministry for a while, that can happen, uh, which is fine. Um, But it it happened. And I didn't see him very much. But then, like, randomly, like a year later, he finally responds to one of my text messages. It's Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, if you're still looking for it. There you go. JT uh, texts me out of the blue, and he's like, hey, man, can we get lunch? And I said, "Uh, yes. I've been texting this guy for, like, a year. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And I said, okay. Um, You know, let's get coffee or something. We sit down. Uh, He tells me, actually, I've been texting, he's like, actually, the girl, Ashley, and I broke up, and I said, oh, that's so so sad. I meant it when I said it, but now I'm like, "Uh." Uh, Ashley and I broke up, and I'm so sorry. Uh, He's like, I want to talk about it. We met, like, four or five days later, the same week, uh, and uh, she, you know, he tells me, like, she broke up with him, it was against like his protest, but like as he like he didn't want to do it and all this stuff, but uh, as he's telling me the story, he's like not sad about it. Like I can see it on his face, and I'm like, you know, you look you look like you like are kinda of over it. Like you look like you're fine. And he was like, Yeah, no, actually I've I've totally moved on. I'm like, Wow, you guys dated for a year and you're like totally fine four days later. That's pretty impressive. And he said, Well, yeah, I think, you know, I think Jess has helped. And I said wait, wasn't her name Ashley? And he goes, well, yeah, that was her name, but now it's Jess. And I said, I, I see. Uh, and I, you know, who's, who's Jess? Can you explain what's her relationship to you? He's like, oh, well, we've started kind of dating and stuff. And I said, oh, okay. And I press him a little bit because, like, what I got one shot, I guess, with this guy, I think. And I say, like, do you think, like, maybe you're just, like, you're moving on a little fast. Like, maybe you could hurt her by doing that, but also, like, you're already feeling kind of vulnerable. Like, if she, like, also breaks up with you, you don't think that's going to, like, really, like, tear at you. And uh, he says, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I do think those things. And he says this, "Um, I just kind of need somebody to be there for me, you know? Uh, I just need somebody. And I said, and if, you know, Jess wasn't it, you would, he's like, find another, yeah. Like, I, I, I think I'm just the kind of person who needs somebody. And I, I realized what JT was expressing to me is something that's true about all of us. We, we really, really, really deep down want somebody or something to look at us every day, every evening, and tell us, like, you're enough. You're good enough. I love you. I find you beautiful. Uh, you, you measure up to all my standards, Um, and JT, if he couldn't find it in, you know, Ashley, he would find it in Jess. And if Jess couldn't measure up, he'd find it in something else. He (laughs) keeps moving back and forth to all these people. And, uh, the reality is like, it's probably making, it probably made JT very exhausted and tired, always looking for that. But, uh, occasionally he would get it right. Like a girl would tell him like, you're enough and you measure up. And the thing is, like maybe for you tonight, it's not a it's not a girlfriend or a boyfriend or somebody like that. Uh, it could be, you know, as long as you get the right letter grade on your report card, or uh, you guys don't have report cards. As long as you have like the right letter grade on your exams or whatever. Um, as long as your boss at your .7 job tells you that you are like good enough and you're doing great, and he's so proud of you. As long as you land that right internship or you get that award or you. I'm president of X club or I don't know what it is for you that tells you like you're enough what it is like maybe it's your friends as long as I have friends as long as I'm not lonely and um, as long as I get a number of Instagram likes on my posts or I have Snapchat friends or like I don't know what it is that you go to when you're feeling low and not good enough but like that thing tells you that you're significant right that you that you matter Um, and that's what we're all like looking for so our big question tonight is, like, when you get back to Milwaukee, right, how are you going to satisfy your need for significance? That's that's our question. How are you going to satisfy your need for significance? JT was looking for it in girls. You might look for it in something else, but how are you going to do that? Because uh, the reality is the Bible talks about this, this exact feeling, and that you, are, you need it, right? So look at Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. That's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, if you want to look there, Uh, right at the first verse uh, Solomon tells us that he's going to test himself with pleasure test himself with pleasure one way to understand this is that like Solomon is just going to do this like big experiment with like a bunch of pleasurable things he's going to like rank them kind of thing right he's going to be like well you know I get this like mental picture uh, of this idea of like Solomon is like sitting in like a lazy boy with his Xbox and he's like you know, like playing, like eating Doritos. He's like, this is like a 7.5. This is a solid 7.5. He's like, it's not as good as eating ice cream outside, like in a hot day, but it's like, it's just below that. Like one way of thinking about this is that he's like, he's just like testing a bunch of pleasures and, and thinking like how pleasurable are these things. But the problem is like that can't be right because versus two through three are like actually unpleasurable things. Right, like madness and folly that he's, that he's comparing them to. So he's not testing just pleasures, um, like to see how pleasurable stuff is. Instead, probably what he's testing, um, he's testing whether various activities and things are pleasurable. He's not testing the pleasures, but whether or not these things are pleasurable. It's more accurate to say that uh, he's testing the pleasures themselves. Sorry, I'm, I got this backwards. Instead of Solomon saying, like, are these things pleasurable? Like, is this, is this pleasurable or is this not pleasurable? Where does this rank? Uh, he's actually testing, like, the pleasures themselves. He's trying to see, like, it, you know, does, did these things, like, measure up? Did, he's testing them the same way that you would test drive a car, right? So when you test drive a car, when you test this thing, you, um, you know, you take it out for a spin. You're trying to see if it meets your needs, like, does it have the right gas mileage? Uh, does, is it going to get me from point A to point B? You might be testing it, like, does the moon roof operate like I want it to? Uh, like you, you're testing it for various things to see if it meets your needs. Well, what's Solomon testing this thing for? I already gave it away a little bit because I've talked about it. But look at the, the conclusion that he states in verse 1. He's testing them for vanity, right? Like, like the, the conclusion he reaches about all this stuff is that it's going to be vanity, Okay, he's looking for things that are going to have weight. He's testing all these individual stuff, right? Not to rank them, but instead, he's each one, he's picking it up, and he's like, is this going to have weight enough for me? He's testing them for significance, and his conclusion tells us that, like, a lot of this stuff, he's going to say, it's all vanity. Um, It doesn't have weight enough for me. So let's read the passage. Uh, Remember, our question here tonight is, how are we going to satisfy our need tonight? How are we going to satisfy our need for significance uh, this morning? Let's look at Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. I'm going to read it. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. That's his conclusion, right? Like, none of it has enough weight. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I made great works. I built houses and I and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds. Planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. A striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, you've made us to experience pleasure and to find significance. Uh, We we long to matter, to be worthy, for our lives to mean something. Help us to learn from this wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's look at this text. um, And we're going to ask that question, how do we satisfy our need for significance? That's our question today. Look with me in verse 4. That's how we're going to start. Uh, in verse 4, Solomon sets about this test drive of pleasure. And the ESV has translated these words, I made great works. That's what it says in the ESV. And it's a fine translation because if you do it the way that the Hebrew is written, it's kind of redundant. and uh, doesn't make a, total, a lot of sense in English. But uh, what it does is it obscures this pronoun that's there in the Hebrew, the word my. Uh, the word "my" is attached to works, so it, it literally reads like this: "I made my works great." I made my works great. It's almost as if he's saying, "Like I did all that I could with what I had, right?" Uh, or to be a bit more business-minded about it, like some of you guys might have thought about this in business classes: "Like I'm a maximizer. I maximize my potential." Uh, one commentator translated it like this: uh, "That I read, I made the most of my activity." I made the most of my activity. To boil it down, it appears that, like, from the jump, from verse 1, Paul saying, or sorry, not Paul, Solomon is saying, uh, it appears, um, like, that he is looking at the sheer pace and, like, the volume of his work, like, how much he's doing. And, he, and as he looks back on, on this whole, like, productivity that he's had, his version of a test drive is to fill his life to the brim. Right, he wants to be productive. He wants to be a maximizer. Uh, now, there's an allure to productivity, isn't there? Like, to be a productive person, uh, you become important at your workspace, right? Uh, you know, you like wipe down more tables than anybody else at your worksite, or you like produce more good designs, or you have more art, or you. I don't. I don't know what it is for you. Uh, you get more tests done, you get, like, I don't know, more things handled, um, and the reality is, the more that you do that, the more respect you get from your peers, the more uh, money you'll make, the more, like, all these things come from being productive. People respect you more. If you're a productive person, like, our, like, a lot of our culture trades on productivity. Like, if you're a productive person, if you put out products, then, like, you're somebody, you matter, right? Uh, our culture loves productivity, and this actually sounds like somebody else in the Bible. Uh, this, like, I made the most of my activity, it sounds like the Apostle Paul, who's going to write something very similar a thousand years later. He says, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 7, the time of my departure has come, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. Uh, that's a very similar sentiment to, like, I made the most, activity, made the most of my activity. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Um, to some, but like, how is this going to, uh, like, well, okay, first off, what does it mean to keep the faith? Like, what, like, it sounds like he's saying he maximized, but what does it mean to keep the faith? Well, Paul tells us, like, what it is that gives us faith. Um, in Galatians 5, Paul tells us that the life of faith in the Spirit, it produces things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control, um, faithfulness. I always forget faithfulness. Uh, Like, these are the kinds of products that Paul's churning out, right? He says the life of faith in the Spirit produces this kind of stuff, and he's churning out these products. So, one, Solomon's churning out products. He's a productive person, and uh, Paul also is claiming to be a productive person, but the products he's churning out are a little different than the ones Solomon's churning out, right? Solomon's churning out like lots of, like, Towers and fields, and you know, like control over people and things. Uh, and so they're both going to kind of make this claim. But what's what's this going to do to both of them? Right. Uh, one of them has a life bent on productivity, and the other one probably is it's more like uh, a life bent on like fruitfulness. Right. What does it mean that like how's it going to go for each of these people? One's going to be productive, and one's going to be fruitful, uh, focused on the fruits of the spirit. Uh, Paul tells us in the next verse, he tells us, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and that not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Paul says that his life of fruitfulness is going to result in a crowning, a coronation from God himself. He's going to give him a crown. It sounds like he's going to say, like, essentially, it paid off. Like, I, I've loved my, like, my fruitful life. Um, but how does, Sol- how does it work for Solomon with his productivity? Uh, he tells us in verse 1, we already mentioned it briefly, but behold, this was vanity. Solomon says of his effort, like all this productive effort that he's making, right? Uh, just being like a very busy person. He says uh, that it's vanity. And that word vanity in the Hebrew, it's like breath or vapor. Essentially, like have you guys ever been in like a really, really thick fog like, so thick that you thought, like, you could, like, reach out and, like, scoop up some of it. Like, it just seems like it. But then when you, like, walk through it, you just kind of, like, go through. You know, like, you can't actually, like, touch it. This is what, like, Paul's, or sorry, this is what Solomon is saying to himself. is like, it, it looks like it's going to be solid. It looks like it's going to be weighty. And then when I reach out, it's just breath. It's vapor. It's just clouds, you know. There's nothing there. Um, And this is really the answer, uh, our first answer to what we're looking for. Um, How do we satisfy our need for significance? Answer one, we try to be with productivity. We try with productivity, but what we need is fruitfulness, right? Um, When we get back to Milwaukee, we try to be busy and productive, and we think the more busy I am, the more I must be significant, the more I must be doing something important. And the reality is, like, productivity is like for machines, right? Productivity is for like non-human entities. Fruitfulness is what God has created us for. That's what the biblical approach to life is. Now, I, listen, I know that you guys are in jobs where like if you were like, excuse me, boss, I can't wipe all these tables because I'm trying to be fruitful. Like that's not how it would, your boss would like laugh at you and be like, well, you can go be fruitful outside because you're fired, right? Like that's not how it works. I get that. I get that you can't uh, do, like separate these two totally, but what I'm saying is like, not that, um, not that you need to not make products, but that like, what is your heart doing as you do that, right? I'm 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 asking you for a heart posture that you can carry into like making products, right? Because what Solomon is saying is he's focused on just outward like production, and Paul is saying what's happening in here is the most important thing that it's a heart posture that you can take, a way that you can approach all of your productivity that actually makes you a fruitful person. And that, that means that there's a difference between uh, productivity and fruitfulness. Henry nowen in his book, Life Science, he's going to put it this way. Productivity gives us a certain notoriety and helps us take away our fear of being useless. But if we want to live this, as followers of Jesus, we must come to know that products, successes, results, are often... Uh, Belonging more to the house of fear than the house of love. Uh, productivity is a fear-driven, anxiety-driven life. Um, I have to be busy. I have to be productive. Um, and it slowly kills you. Like, it, it, is, quen- like it is just slowly quenching you, or slowly just, like, drying up your spirit, uh, making it brittle and hard. But Scripture says that your life is supposed to be fruitful, meaning that you're alive, right? That you're bearing fruit, Um, Solomon uh, doesn't get this, and he's focused on productivity, and he says, man, it's vapor. Um, It's a bunch of rat, it's a rat race, and you can even feel this. You probably know this deep down. When you're at your busiest, you're also at your most empty. Um, So so that's something that we can keep in mind as we go back to campus, that uh, productivity and fruitfulness are not the same thing. Um, and that, like, your heart posture, even as you're really busy, should be one of someone who's trying to be fruitful, focused on, uh, you know, uh, what God is doing in your life. We can talk more about that later, the difference between those two things, Um, but I'm going to keep moving. Uh, Let's keep exploring this passage. Uh, Look with me at the latter half of verse four through verse eight. Um, After Solomon tells us how hard he worked, um, he says what he worked hard on, right? So he said, I worked hard. I was really productive um, and then he tells us what he got from all that work. He says, I built houses for myself. I made gardens for myself. I made myself pools. I gathered for myself silver and gold. I made many slaves in my house. Like, he got a bunch of stuff, right? So he's really productive. So it means that he got a lot of products. Um, unfortunately, I, right now, I don't have time to like go into the evils of slavery uh, in full depth. But I will say at least this. Um, sometimes the Bible is going to talk about slavery. And just because it's descriptive about slavery doesn't mean it's prescriptive about slavery, right? It's describing what happened. Solomon owned slaves. Um, and, it, and, like, honestly, the Bible is going to treat you as an adult on some level and say, you can make the evaluation of whether or not that was a good thing. Was it? You know, like, you, you can ask that question of the Bible. Was this a good thing? Because it's just describing. This is what Solomon did. Um, and if you, you're paying attention, right, He's going to say, like, this wasn't good. Like, he's even going to, like, tell you, like, it was vanity and it was not good enough and, like, um, should tell us something about that on some level. But uh, I just think it's worth mentioning that, like, uh, the American system of slavery, channel slavery, was, like, horrible, 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 horrible. Uh, And I don't want to ever, like, miss out on an opportunity of saying that. But um, that's not really, like – this passage is not just blanket because it's in the Bible. It's not giving that, like, affirmation in any way. Um, So I wanted to say that before we moved on. But besides this point, right, besides slavery, like, this version that Paul's or, sorry, I keep saying Paul. This version of life that Solomon is describing, like, that's not that different than the way that we think about, like, the good life. Is it? Like, not really. Um, Like, Think about this. Uh, This is a quote from the great poet of our age, Cardi B. Uh, She says uh, in one of her songs, Now, I like dollars, I like diamonds. I like stunting, I like shining. I like million-dollar deals. Where's my pen? I'm signing. I like those Balenciagas. It's a type of shoe. I I had to look that up. I didn't know that. Um, The ones that look like socks. I like going to the jeweler. I put rocks all in my watch. Uh, Right? Like... We love stuff, man. We love stuff. We do. And you can, like, I like, I get it. You're like, money can't buy you happiness. And, like, we say that all the time. And we're like, I'm not a dumb rapper. I don't think like that. I, you know, like, that's just a fun song. They wouldn't sing it if they, like, if it didn't on some level, like, kind of resonate with us a little. On some level. Right? Um, we, like, it may not be able to buy, like, money can't buy happiness, but it could, like, I don't know. It could buy you new Kylie Jenner makeup products, or like, uh, you know, that's exp- that stuff's expensive. I'm married now. Now I know. I'm like, you guys are paying a lot of money on that stuff. Um, like, I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what it is for you that you're like, man. But it would be easier if I had a boat, you know? Like, I, I don't know, right? Uh, what life would be like? Um, but like, how does how does that how does that kind of pursuit this pursuit of products like? How does that end up for Solomon? Well, look with me at verse 11. How does it end up for him? He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon says, After he was finished working hard, and he got all those products, all the stuff that he had worked hard for, he considered all that production, like all those products, to be vanity too. Not only was his busyness vanity, it's also a bit like vanity for him to own a bunch of the stuff that he made. Um, in verses 18 through 19, he's going to like after the passage that we read, he's also going to say, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Uh, like he knows that the reality of like possessions, the reality of stuff is that it comes and goes. You can't take it with you. Uh, Solomon's honest with himself enough in a way that, like, we might be a little scared to be. But he's honest. And he says, like, man, like, when he looks around at all, like, uh, he looks around at all the wealth and the stuff he's acquired uh, and, like, what it's all brought him he realizes he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to have to leave it to somebody else. And he doesn't even know if they'll deserve, preserve, or conserve it. Like, he doesn't know how they'll treat anything that he's left them. And so even though he's built all this great things, these gardens and all this stuff, he's like, well, I don't even know how you're going to treat any of it. Um, for all I know, the day after I die, it's all gone and nobody remembers me at all. Um, and that's, that's the reality of trying to find our significance in products. Um, they never last. That's our second answer, right? Uh, so we try and find it in uh, productivity, but we need, fecund- or, sorry, not fecundity, uh, that is fruitfulness. Um, we try and find it in productivity, but we need fruitfulness. And sometimes we try and find it in products, uh, but we need things that last. Products don't last. Now, it, it, like I said, it'd be very tempting for us to like close our ears at this point and say, like, yeah, "I'm not a fool. I don't care about stuff. Like, I don't care about possessions." I, you know, Nick. I'm a college kid. I don't even have any possessions. Like everything I own, my parents could take from me if they really wanted to. Right? You might, you might think, like, uh, that's not you. But, guys, can I just tell you, you live and breathe, like, the air of materialism. Like, we live in the West. We, like, are in the richest country, probably, that has ever existed, like, in the history of all humankind. You love stuff. Like, I love stuff. We just do. Um, We have more. The reality is, like if you don't live, you still own more stuff than basically most other people in the world. um, Even if you don't have much, Um, now you like. And the reality is too that, like, if you're on Instagram or Snapchat or any of these things, you're also just. The reality is, you're being bombarded every day with the reality that, like, you don't you don't have that much stuff, right? Like. There's Instagram influencers that are on, like, vacation in, like, Punta Cana or whatever, you know? Like, and they're, you know, they have, like, bukus of dollars and they're on some yacht or whatever. And you're like, look, I'm not that rich. I don't have that much stuff because I'm not doing that. And you're comparing yourself to all these people who have more stuff. But that doesn't mean that you don't, right? Um, And it can be really, really tempting. What this looks like most for us is that we get very comfortable. Um, What looks like uh, finding our significance in these kinds of things says what do I need God for? What do I need people for? I'm comfortable. I have my little square inch. I have all the stuff that I need. I have all the money I need. And so I don't really need anything from anybody or anyone, right? Uh, And like, I have Hulu. I have Disney Plus. I can just get on my phone. When I get bored, like, when I get bored, I can just scroll and ignore the world and ignore, like, the little aching that's happening inside of my soul that says there should be more to my life than this. Um, I'll just bury it under stuff. And like, That is not the way God's created you. That is vanity. That is nothing. That's a striving after the wind. Um, And like, it won't get, but the more stuff you have, it won't get better. It'll get worse. Uh, So now, make a decision now not to like find your significance in like being comfortable and just like having like a nice little life with a picket fence or whatever. Like that's a fine thing to have, but it's not gonna be enough. Um, And so knowing that changes things, right? Right? Um, products come in co, but contentment, contentment, that abides. Um, all right, so let's, uh, we're going to finish up here. Uh, Solomon's not done with his significant search. Um, he says, you know, okay, so productivity hasn't worked and the products haven't worked. Um, but look with me at verses 9 through 10. Uh, he says this, so I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Solomon now turns his focus to his peers. Right, he takes a look around, takes an assessment, and he's like, "I'm better than all of you." Right, and the thing is, uh, you might be like, "Wow, what an arrogant, like conceited person." If anyone actually had some sort of reason to say this and, like, kind of, like, be honest and accurate about it, like, it would be him. He's greater than everybody who came before him, right? He, um, he's God's anointed king over Israel, uh, possibly the wisest person who ever lived. There's, like, lots of tales even from other countries about Solomon at the time period saying, like, this man was very wise. There's like, a reputation that he had um, even outside of Israel. Um, he's a son of David right, the builder of the temple of Israel where God was supposed to dwell with his people Um, I mean, and he does own just like a ton of stuff, like he really is just super, super rich Um, and like, that's a pretty impressive resume, like the reality is his resume is probably longer than any of his contemporaries at the time at least in Israel, he really is greater than everybody else right, he'd arrived he'd arrived and he knew it right he like the thing that you think like man. If I could get to this point, like if I really was like that great, like life would be great. He made it. Like he really did get there. Um, uh, we don't really use this word uh, anymore, but it's alliterative. Alliterative with uh, uh, products and productivity. So I'm going to use it. He's found prestige, right? He's found prestige. As he compares himself to his peers, he thinks he comes out ahead. Um, and the simple search for prestige. For prestige Guys, it's ingrained in us in, like, a very, very early age. Um, I think we're born with it. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, he took his son, Elliot. Sorry, Elliot. Uh, different Elliot. Um, took his son, Elliot, to be tested uh, at an elementary school. And, uh, like, in order to get into this elementary school, you have to, like, put blocks. He's, this kid, Elliot, is four and a half years old. Um, and you have to, like, put blocks together and, like, do all these puzzles and stuff. And they're, like, testing to see, like, if he's ready to, like, be in this, like, really elite elementary school. Um, yeah I know an elite elementary school but it happens Uh, and um, oh they like ask him this one question uh, where um, what kind of animals begin with the letter H and he has to like just name all the animals he can think of Um, and Elliot like he, the thing is like he loves like these sorts of tests like he loves like brain teasers and stuff and so he's taking the test and the lady like the ladies who, who's proctoring it, she keeps telling him like, "You're doing so great, you're doing so great." He kept answering things. He was like, "She's like, wow, you're like, honestly, I've never had that like somebody name that many animals that start with H, right?" And you could like, you could see it on Elliot's face like he's just like soaking up the praise. He's like, "Yes, yes, I am, I am, I am like able to name more animals that start with the letter H." Um, and just soaking up, and he turns to his, he turns, um. As my friend tells me the story, he says he turns to his dad, and he looks at him, and he says this, Papa, I am gooder than all the other boys. That's what he says, right? He, like, even at four and a half years old, he has some concept that, like, if you can look around and you're better than your peers, that means you're significant, Right? And he, the thing is, the irony is, right, he says this as he says the word gooder, right? He's like, I'm gooder than all of the boys. And it's like, yeah, you sure, buddy, you know, like, um, and, th- like, the thing is, we all do this, like, we have this, but this is a four and a half year old doing this, but we do this today, too, when we're older, right? Um, when you have a bad day at work, you look over at the screw up that's next to you, or the, like, you have a bad day in class, you do bad, poorly on a test, like, guys, I was the worst about this in college. If I got like a B on a test, I would honestly like look over at the person next to me and be like, what'd you get? Just this, like, and I, I, what I meant by that was, did you do worse than me? Because if you did worse than me, I'll feel better about the test that I did, right? Did poorly on. We like we want this so bad to look over at somebody else and be like, well, at least I'm not like that guy, right? And uh, that's the real, that worker who always screws up, that's at least I'm not like that person, um, I mean, like, the whole letter grade system is, like, literally just, like, am I better than a C or lower than a C? Like, it's, it's a way of measuring ourselves. And Solomon, um, and, like, the thing is, uh, here's the reality about, like, measuring yourself by other people, right? Is that, like, you pushing someone else down doesn't actually change how, like, smart or good or gooder you are than anybody else, right? It doesn't actually make you, like, better it just means that, like, you're somehow relative to other people um, ahead. Um, and and the, the thing is, like, that's not actually making you into any more significant. It just makes you feel better about it. Um, and that means, uh, that the reality is, like, Solomon comes to the same conclusion, um, Sure, he had surpassed other people, but those, like, 700 wives and 300 concubines that he had, like, they ultimately, because he's worshiping other gods, like, all these wives are coming from other, like, countries, and the reason he's marrying all of them is because he wants peace for Israel, but peace at what cost? Because eventually one of those 700 wives is going to, like, is going to have two sons, and they're going to split the kingdom, and part of the reason they're going to split the kingdom is because everyone's worshiping all these different gods, um, like the thing that he wants so badly, peace and prosperity and the, thing, the products that he's getting and all that stuff is actually going to be ultimately his downfall. Solomon realizes that and says like, you know, a prestige of even that, like at the end of his life, because he lived long enough to see his two sons start to become rivals. He says this, then I considered all that my hands had made or all my hands had done and the toilet I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Right? So how do we satisfy our need for significance? That's our third point. We try to satisfy it with prestige, uh, but we need to understand our own shortcomings. right? We satisfy it with prestige, but we need to understand our own shortcomings. We try it with productivity, with products, and prestige, and none of those things is enough. So where do we make all of this? Are, are we doomed to insignificance? Um, has God like created in us a desire for significance that we can't? When we get back to Milwaukee, right, and you're living your normal lives, and you've heard all we, you know, I told you on Friday we we've been doing these devotionals, all this stuff about how like your work matters, God dignifies you, He loves you, all that stuff is true. You know, don't exalt that stuff above Him. But if you, you know, it's the right place, God shows up in those things. I've been telling you that all weekend, and yet like you're about to go back, and you're like, yeah, but like there has to be enough, like this stuff. Like, even the humdrum of my life, there's something about it that doesn't quite add up. It's not significant enough. Even as much as we've tried to tell you that, like, your work is significant, something about it doesn't feel significant enough. And that's because of this. Uh, God did not make you, like, just to find your identity in any of those things. Products, people, uh, prestige, like, productivity. Like, that's not what you ultimately are supposed to find you're worth in. That's not what makes you significant. Um, the main message of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't surface until the end, um, so we're going to have to flip, a, flip ahead a little bit. Um, at 12.13, Solomon's going to say this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Um, the reality of the book of Ecclesiastes, if you ever want to read it on your own, is that like, for the first, basically, 12 chapters of the book... Uh, he's just like taking a look around at like what happens like in a a world devoid of God you can find your identity in people, products, pleasures you know like all these P words Um, and the reality is like none of it measures up he's just going to keep saying that this refrain of like everything's vanity there's nothing to be gained all this is nothing and like he's not trying to say that like work and those things don't matter in fact he even says like he got pleasure from doing those, those things but at the end it's all vanity Um, In our passage, he says, like, I got pleasure from some of these things, but it's not enough. So at the end of the matter, he's saying, like, actually knowing God, enjoying him, living for him, being fruitful, uh, following his commandments, uh, enjoying a, a real relationship with him where he loves me and I love him back. That, that's the duty of man. That gives significance to life. Um, Jesus tells us the same thing in Luke 18 Uh, I preached about this already I think in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector Uh, one man comes into the temple right, he's like look at all the stuff I've done, he's the guy he's measuring himself, thank God I'm not like this tax collector over here Uh, I'm such a good person Like Jesus is echoing basically the exact same sentiment, you can walk in and think you're great and find your identity and your worth in all this stuff that you do or You can be like the tax collector who comes in, beats beats his chest, cries out to heaven, won't look up, and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, And that man, that tax collector, goes home uh, justified. Um, His significance, this this tax collector has found something beautiful and true. His significance comes from knowing God. Comes from the Lord. Not from productivity, not from products, not from prestige. He's given up all those things. They won't ultimately satisfy him. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me. I want a relationship with you. That's what matters. Um, May we all have that kind of humility. Let's pray.